Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to <clears throat> Matthew chapter 26. And as you're opening your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, we're continuing in the final hours of Jesus. We're going to examine Peter's denial today as well as the betrayal of Judas. And as we look at this, there are many similarities, many commonalities between the two. And we're going to look at these at the end of the, the message here and, and as well as looking at the major difference between the two. But before we read about uh, Peter and Judas, I want to give you some background information. As I stated earlier, we are in the final 24 hours of the life of Jesus on earth. Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples. Jesus had his last supper with his disciples. Jesus also identified his betrayer. He spoke to Peter about his denial. He also prayed in the garden. He was arrested in the garden. And he had also gone through two religious trials. One with Annas, which was the father of, of Caiaphas, or the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. Annas was probably a high priest, or he was the acting president of the Sanhedrin, according to John chapter 18, verse 13. And he, Jesus also went through the religious trial with Caiaphas, who was the acting high priest, which is what we covered last week. And so what Matthew does now is he shifts the attention from Jesus to the two apostles of Jesus. And these two apostles that we're talking about are Peter and Judas. And Matthew is going to give us and reveal to us the denial and the betrayal of these two. As I mentioned earlier, there's many similarities and commonalities between Peter and Judas. But I pray that at the end when we talk about their difference, that that would minister to us. That would speak to us on God's grace and forgiveness. And so let's go ahead and read the first section as we're going to talk about Peter's denial. We're going to read from uh, chapter 26, verses 69 through 75. And so let's go ahead and read that now. It says, Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. <clears throat> this is the end of, of the account of Peter's denial. And as we look at this, right, we see that he denied him three times. You know, I want to give you some additional details that Matthew doesn't give us regarding this event. Peter wasn't alone. He actually had somebody else with him. Peter and John were the ones that actually decided to follow Jesus after his arrest, according to John chapter 18, verse 15. And both of them were following at a distance, according to Luke chapter 22, verse 54. And so they saw Jesus at a distance, and as we're going to see, they're going to draw near to him, and they're going to see all the things that are happening to Jesus. But they led Jesus into the home of the high priest for the trial. And so what happens is as Peter and John are following, they arrive in the courtyard of the high priest, not very far from where Jesus is. 
Jesus is in the house and he, they're in the courtyard there. And they're outside looking at him according to John chapter 18, verse 16. And so as we think about this, how much of the trial did they hear? How much of that trial did they hear? Did they hear the whole trial? That's possible. Did they hear a portion of the trial? That's also very possible. But we know one thing is that they were present at this religious trial. And so as they heard the, uh, they, as they saw the religious trial going on, I want to share with you what they saw. They saw accusations against Jesus. And we know that these accusations couldn't stick because remember, you need two witnesses in order to make it valid, right? Two or three witnesses. And none of them, they didn't have two or three until a later time as they were just bringing up all of these people that were coming against Jesus. And then finally, there were two that had similar allegations. And so they knew that this could work. And based on this, based on the fact that they now had two, the high priest goes to Jesus. And this high priest goes to Jesus and he puts Jesus under oath and he asks Jesus if he was the Christ, the Son of God. And based on this, according to Levitical law, which Jesus could not break the law, he responds and he says, that it is I. It is I as you say. And so immediately after this, right, when they said if, you know, that he agreed to being the Christ, the Son of God, we know that the Pharisees, the religious people, the chief priests, they, you know what, they didn't look at Jesus this way. And so immediately they thought this was blasphemy. He's making himself to be God. And so immediately they gave him what? The guilty verdict. The guilty verdict deserving of death. And so during this time, Peter is there. Imagine that Peter's at a distance. It'd be probably like from here to probably the uh, little further than the entrance of the door. And he sees the guilty verdict. And not only does he see the guilty verdict, but as soon as he is proclaimed guilty, they begin to spit at the face of Jesus, the religious people, the religious leaders. They begin to beat Jesus. They begin to strike Jesus with their palms. And they begin to mock Jesus. And all of this, Peter was seen. So you could imagine just Peter seeing all of this, right? The fear that would have gone through his heart and through his mind. Because Peter was there. He was in the courtyard, not very far, as I mentioned to you. It was the evening, so he was warming himself with fire. And you could imagine how he was looking intently at the trial of Jesus. And he's seen all of this. And so this is when the denials happen. As we see here, as we see that the first woman, the first servant girl comes to Jesus in verse 30, 69. It says, a verse, I'm sorry, a servant girl goes to Peter and she says, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. Here it doesn't reveal to us, but actually the other writers reveal to us that this servant that we're talking about was a servant of the high priest. So imagine the high priest, right, who's, they're convicting Jesus and condemning Jesus and giving them the guilty verdict. This servant girl says, Peter, you were with Jesus. So you could imagine the fear. And so immediately, what does Peter do? He denies it. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about, as he says there in verse 70. And not only does he stop there, but then you have another individual coming to Peter. And this person says that, you know what? This fellow, Peter, was with Jesus of Nazareth. 
But Peter denies it. He denies it for the second time and he says, I don't know this man, according to verse 72 there. And so then others come, right? As Peter denies it the second time and they're seeing all this, right? So others come and they say, you know what? You are one of the disciples of Jesus. Your speech reveals it. You, it's revealed to us that you were with him. Look at the way you talk. And so what does Peter do? Peter, then he begins to curse and he begins to swear. I don't know the man, according to verse 74. Do you see how sin progressively gets worse, though? First it was just what? No, I don't know him. Then it's again repeating that, and now he's cursing and He's swearing. And this is how sin prog progressively gets worse. See, when you are tempted to sin, right, you don't think it's nothing big, and, and you just, again, come to a place of just compromising yourself. And when you compromise yourself, we know one thing, it starts small. But then it progressively gets worse and worse for others to see. And then it comes to a point where, you know what, you're no longer convicted by the Holy Spirit and you're just doing what you want to do. You're so blinded to your own sin. And this is where Peter was, blinded by the sin that he was doing, by, blinded by his denial. And this is the way we can become as people. It's happened to me where sin starts off small and it progressively gets worse, where you no longer see it. You're blinded to the fact of how bad we've become. And yet everyone is visible, and yet everyone can see your sin visibly. As it came to Peter, he did it three times. And we know that at this third time, the rooster crowed. And then Peter remembers what Jesus told him in Matthew chapter 26, verse 32. That before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Imagine that. Imagine how Peter would have felt at this moment. I want to give you some additional details that the other writers give us. When we look at Luke chapter 22, verse 61, he said that after Peter denied the Lord the third time, when the rooster crowed, can you imagine this one? That the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. The Lord turned and he looked at Peter. Imagine that. Imagine what was going through the mind of Peter, right? As, as he looks at the Lord because he sees the rooster crows, he sees Jesus at a distance, and immediately Peter looks to Jesus, and Jesus, knowing that rooster crow, knowing that Peter sinned, he looks at Peter and they lock eyes. Imagine. Imagine how Peter would have felt. Imagine what Peter was thinking. I'm a failure. I'm condemned. I'm dis you know what? I'm a disappointment. Remember, just a few hours ago, what was Peter saying to Jesus? You know what? I will die for you, Jesus. I'll never deny you. I will die for you. And yet you see him, how things quickly turn. But I want to remind you of something. Maybe we, we don't have this in the forefront of our minds when we sin. But I want you to understand this, that when you are sinning, guess whose eyes are on you? Jesus is looking at you. The Lord God himself is looking at you. See, if we have this perspective in the back of our minds, we won't sin. You will try everything in your power not to sin because you know that God is looking at you. Having a constant awareness that God is looking at each and every one of us, even behind closed doors when we see no one else looking at us, 
God is looking. He knows exactly what you're doing. His eyes are locked on you. And you know how I know this? Because the Bible tells us, according to Proverbs 15, verse 3, it says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. His eyes are watching you behind closed doors when you think no one else is looking, when you're in your car and you're by yourself. When you're behind the computer, when you're looking at your phone, when you're saying certain things, you're doing certain things that you want no one else to see. Remember, God is looking. And if we have this awareness, then yes, it's going to keep us from wanting to sin. And so I want to remind you that we're no different than Peter because God is looking at us. Something else that we don't hear from Matthew is what Mark tells us in Mark chapter 14, verse 30. There he says that before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Mark is telling us that the rooster crowed twice. It didn't just crow one time, it crowed twice. Why didn't the other ones give us this detail? They probably didn't think that it was, you know, very important. But I think it's important because Mark mentioned it, right? And so I want to talk about this. As Mark reveals that Jesus said this, he gives us the details of when the rooster crowed twice. In Mark chapter 14, verse 68, it says that after Peter's first denial, the rooster crowed and Peter heard it. And then the second time the rooster crowed, it was at Peter's Third denial in verse 72 of Mark 14. Why do I bring attention to this? Why would I even want to talk about this? I want to remind you of one important point. The Lord gave warning to Peter. The Lord gave warning to Peter. See, this is the way the Lord works, and I love this about God because he's done it to me. When I was about to sin, God sent people to give me warning. Don't do that. And guess what? I ignored it. See, God gives us warning, and he gave warning to Peter. He gave him that one. He gave him a one warning before where Peter could have easily said, you know what, Lord? I'm sorry. I heard that, and I, you say you, I was going to deny you three times, and I'm proving just as I told you that I wouldn't. But yet he didn't take the warning. See, God is always giving us warning about our sin. Why does he give you warning about your sin? Because he knows what it's going to do in your life. He knows the destruction that it brings. He knows the pain and the heartache that sin brings you. So as a child of God, he wants to prevent this from coming upon your life. So he gives us warning so that we don't sin. He'll either send somebody to you. He'll either speak directly to you. He'll either speak from his word to you. Whatever it is, know this, that before you sin, there have been several warnings that have been given to you. The problem is we ignore them. And just as Peter, as it says in verse 75, what does he do? He went out and he wept bitterly. Let's keep reading on. The next two verses, it says in there, chapter 27 of Matthew, it says, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. We have here, this is a third trial, just so you know. 
The first trial was with Annas, uh, as I mentioned. The second one was with Caiaphas, and this one is with the Sanhedrin. How do we know this is the third trial? Because it says that it's in the morning, that all the chief priests came together once again to plot against Jesus. See, according to the religious law, they couldn't have a trial at night. And so they were showing themselves to be, you know what, righteous and merciful, but we know that it was all fake. They already had the verdict. And Mark, Mark chapter 15, verse 1, talks about the same trial, the trial before the Sanhedrin. And so because it was morning, now it made them legal to cast the verdict against Jesus. But yet they were reminded of one thing, that the Jews could never pass capital punishment. John 18, verse 31 tells us that the Jews could not do this. See, this had to be done by Rome. Jews were stripped of this law, of this right. They could not extend capital punishment on anyone. And so this is the reason why they brought him to Pontius Pilate, the governor, as it says there in verse 2. And so now we go into Judas. Let's talk about Judas. Beginning here in verse 3, we're going to read the whole chapter. It says there, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took silver pieces the silver pieces and said it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood and they consulted together and brought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in therefore the field has been called the field of blood to this day then was fulfilled what was spoken by jeremiah the prophet saying and they took the 30 pieces of silver the value of him who was priced whom they whom they of the children of israel priced and gave them for the potter's field as the lord directed me let me give you some insight let me give you some background information on judas i want you to understand one thing that judas was also present there during the trials of jesus why do i say that look at what it says in verse three then judas his betrayer seeing that he had been condemned seeing he saw it himself just like peter he was probably in a different area and he was there watching what was happening to jesus and as he saw that Jesus was condemned, it tells us there, the immediate thing that was spoken next was that he was remorseful. He was remorseful. He felt bad. He says that I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He felt bad about the fact that he betrayed Jesus. He was sorry for it. And so what does he do? He comes to the chief priest acknowledging the sin of betrayal. And it states that these men said to Peter, I mean to Judas, we could care less about your sin. That's between you and Jesus. See, there are many people that provoke us to sin, whether it be the belie uh, a believer or an unbeliever. And this is what happens. See, when we become foolish enough to allow them to talk us into sinning? You know what? We that have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, we are severely convicted. And we begin to have regret. And many times when it comes to these individuals that cause us to sin, 
Many times they just abandon you and they say, wait, guess what? You're on your own. Has this ever happened to you? It happens just like with Judas. You're on your own. These were unbelievers. You're, this is, you're on your own. They said they know God, but they didn't really know God. And they say you're on your own. That's between you and Jesus. And so what does Judas do? He throws the 30 pieces of silver in the temple and he leaves. And when he leaves, he couldn't take it. He couldn't take the remorse that he hung himself, that he left and he hung himself. There's some additional insight that another book reveals to us regarding this hanging of Judas. It's from Acts chapter 1, verse 18. It tells us there that Judas, he fell head first there where he hung himself. His body split open, spilling out all his intestines. See, what happened is when Judas hung himself on the limb, he would have been there for some time. The body weight got the limb to be very weak, and so the limb breaks, and there must have been a rock beneath. And he falls on that sharp rock, and when he falls on it, his stomach splits open, and his intestines spill out. How grotesque this would have been. But as we read here, what the Bible tells us, it tells us that the chief priest took the pieces of silver, See, they couldn't put it back into the treasury. Why? Because it was blood money. What is, what is blood money? It's a payment for murder. And so what they could do with this is they could buy a plot of land, right? Which eventually became a cemetery for foreigners and they ended up calling it the field of blood. And then Matthew says something interesting. This is all in fulfillment to what Jeremiah spoke. Let me give you some insight here because I want to give this to you only because... There's, a, there's something here that, that you need to be aware of. When we look at the prophecy and they took 30, the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom the children of Israel priced and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. This prophecy was actually given by Zechariah, but yet we have Jeremiah. Zechariah 11 verses 12 and 13 is very similar to what 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 was spoken here by Matthew. So why would Matthew use Jeremiah? I'm going to give you a couple of opinions. One is that Jeremiah did speak on these things. He spoke about the 30 pieces. He spoke about the, the potter's field. In Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah 18, and Jeremiah chapter 19. But we also know that it probably was something that was spoken down to Matthew. Maybe that's why he wrote it. I don't know if that's the case, but maybe there was oral tradition that Jeremiah was the one that said this, and so he wrote that. Why would he use Jeremiah? This is what I believe. See, in the Hebrew manuscripts, I want you to know this, that Jeremiah is the first prophet that's listed. And whenever they would speak of the prophets, they would speak they would use Jeremiah. They would use the name of Jeremiah to represent all the prophet books. I just wanted to give you that insight in case anyone ever brings that to your attention. But I want to move on to what's, I think, important for us. We're going to look real quick at the similarities. We're going to look at the commonalities. And then, most importantly, we're going to speak on this major difference between the two. So let's speak on the similarities. I'm going to give you seven of them, okay? Seven similarities between Judas and Peter. Peter and Judas. 
One is that they were the apostles of Jesus. That's the first similarity, right? They were both apostles. In Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, it gives us the fact that Jesus prayed for the apostles, those that he would choose, and Peter and Judas were amongst the 12. The second similarity is that both were loved by Jesus. They were both extremely loved by Jesus. I want you to know one thing, that Jesus didn't love one more than the other. Jesus didn't love Peter more than Judas. The Word of God tells us that he loved them both the same. Look at John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them. He didn't say that he loved just the 11. He loved the 12. And the truth is the same for all of us today. Jesus loves us all the same. I want you to know that whether it's a believer or an unbeliever, he loves you all the same. I don't know if you ever realize that. And there's no more than that. There's no more that you can do that for Jesus to love you more. Did you know that Jesus loves you at its purest form? There's many people that try to make Jesus or try to attempt that, uh, to have Jesus love them more. He already loves you. He loves you, whether you're a believer or non-believer. This is why we know for a fact in John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. For God so loved the world. The world is made up of believers and unbelievers. And God loves him. God loves you. The next Similarity is this, is that Jesus predicted the sins of both. Jesus predicted the sins of both. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, it tells us that Jesus told Peter directly, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus told Peter. And not only does he tell Peter his sin, but he's going to tell Judas his sin because when we look at Matthew 26, verse 21, it says that when Jesus was with the 12, he told them, one of you will betray me. But then in verse 25, he spoke to Judas directly and he asked, and when Judas asked him if it was him, Jesus said, you have said it. Just like I mentioned before, Jesus giving the warning before you walk and take that plunge of sin. But I want to share this with you. Why do we sin after the warning? The reason why we sin after the warning is because you are no longer walking in the Spirit. You are fulfilling the lust of the flesh. That's why you don't take the warning. You want to satisfy. You want to crave these passions that you have. Whatever it may be. Whatever it is, you're going to do it. Why? Because you're not in the Spirit. Because, the sp- that prom- because when we're in the Spirit, the Word of God promises that we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But when you're not walking in the Spirit and you have the warning, it's because you want to fulfill your flesh. Look at what it says in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. It says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. When you are drawn away by your own desires and enticed, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. One may say, well, what happened to Judas? Judas wanted what? Silver. He was greedy. He wanted money. And it led him to death. 
as we keep talking about the similarities, let's talk about the fourth one. They both sinned against Jesus. They both sinned against Jesus. I want to reveal this to you. Peter's sin is no less than Judas' sin. Peter's sin of denial is no less than the sin of betrayal. Sin is defined as what? Missing the mark set forth by God, right? Missing that mark. And I want to remind you of one important truth, that one sin is no greater than the next. Just one sin that you commit will keep you out of heaven. See, if we sin, understand this, and everyone sins, right? Because as we know that sin was passed on through Adam, and so we are born into sin. And so this is what keeps us out of heaven. But what allows us to come into heaven is what? Is faith in Jesus Christ, which brings us what? The forgiveness of sin. But I want to share this with you that one sin, because many people say, well, you know what? I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. But one sin makes you guilty. As it says there in James chapter 2, verse 10. I mean, James 2, verse 10 says, for, whatever, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. See, the only reason I bring this to your attention is because many of us look down on certain sins and we think that some sins are not so bad. Some of the sins that we do are not so bad, but yet we're quick to point out the other sins of, with other people. Many of us will say, you know, well, well, we know adultery is bad. We know that that's a terrible sin. You know, cheating on your wife, having an affair outside of marriage. We also know, you know what, some people may say, well, you know what, the drug addict, we know that he's a sinner. We know the murderer, he's a sinner. And we can easily identify that. And we can easily say, you know what, absolutely. But yet what about our unforgiveness? That's a sin that'll keep you out of heaven. If you haven't confessed that to the Lord, if, you have, if the Lord hasn't forgiven you, if you haven't repented of that, what about your jealousy and your envy? What about the pride that you have, the gossip that you're doing? All of these things. Understand one thing is that if you haven't confessed, if you don't have true repentance, because some of us can easily say, well, you know what? I have, you know what? I know I'm doing wrong, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyways. And you continue to practice these things, and this becomes your lifestyle. This is what Jesus says. This will keep you out of heaven. See, many of us, we can't look down on someone who is in sin when we're just as bad. Remember that. This is why the Lord said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Remember the truth to that. How important it is that, you know what, that, that just keep an eye on yourself. Just like, you know, like, like the Lord told Peter, right? He said, Peter, worry about yourself. Don't worry about the death of John. Keep focus on your own. Work on your own problems, on your own issues. You got your own. Don't worry about anyone else. Focus on your relationship with me. The fifth thing that I want to talk about is the fact that they both sinned the night before. Peter denied Jesus the night before the Lord's death, and Judas betrayed Jesus the night before also. They both did it the night before. 
And the sixth difference is, uh, the sixth similarity is this. They were both tempted by Satan the night before. It was a temptation by Satan. Remember that. It was a temptation by Satan. Many of us won't even look at Peter's denial as a temptation by Satan. But let me prove this to you from Luke chapter 22, verse 31 says this. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. It was Satan that tempted him. It was Satan that wanted to destroy Peter. We need to understand. And the same thing with Judas. It was Satan that entered Judas. It was Satan that moved Judas. In John 13, verse 27, it says, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Understand, these temptations were given by Satan. See, Peter, when we think about Peter, Peter was a believer. And Peter knows how Satan works. This is why he wrote later in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Peter knows what Satan's plan is. He wants to devour him, devour us. He wanted to devour Peter. And so this is why he tempted Peter. I want to share this with you, especially if those of you that where God is using you powerfully, where you're drawing near to the Lord and, God, and the Satan knows that you're drawing near to the Lord and all of a sudden you see yourself growing in leaps and bounds and all of a sudden you see yourself becoming stronger in the Lord. You are a target for Satan. Just like with Peter. He knew exactly what work God wanted to do through Peter and Satan wanted him out. The same work is the same is for all of us. And those of you that are in ministry, remember this. The devil wants you out completely. He wants to devour each and every one of you. Why does he want to devour you? Because God is using you. And he wants to prevent the work of God happening in and through your life. Don't ever take this so lightly. Don't ever think that you're not a target for Satan or you're not a target for the demons that he assigned to you because each and every one of us have demons that have been assigned to us and they study you and they know you. There are two or three individuals that know you. God knows you very well. The demons know you very well. And you, you're still on the fence. You don't know yourself. But as we think about this, remember that Satan is going to devote himself to stop the work that God is doing through you. Judas was a non-believer. I'm going to give you something to ponder here. Satan will use non-believers to come against you. Just like Judas was used to come against Jesus, Satan will use non-believers to come against you, to discourage you, to have you to quit. Remember, Satan will use anyone to take you out of the race. Satan never sleeps. The final point is this. Both felt 
terrible. Both of them felt terrible for their sin. Peter, for his denial, his sin of denial, you know what, for lying, for just, you know what, denying the Lord. And Judas, for his betrayal. When we read there in Matthew 27, verse 75, it tells us that Peter wept bitterly. And then in Matthew 27, verse 3, we read there that Judas was remorseful. He was remorseful. He was remorseful. He felt bad because he, he sinned by betraying innocent blood. He knew Jesus did not do any of the things that he was found guilty for. But I want to share this with you. There's a big difference between the two. There's a huge difference between Peter weeping and Judas Judas's remorse. I want to share this with you, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. When we look at Peter, the difference between the two is that Peter had deep sorrow. Okay, Peter had deep sorrow. What caused him to weep? Whenever you weep, it's because of what? You have deep sorrow within you, right? Your heart has been broken. And it says that Judas was remorseful. Judas had regret. Judas felt sorry for something that he did. When we look at Peter, understand this, when we look at the sorrow that he had, this is what is termed as godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. What do I mean by godly sorrow? I'm going to explain it to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance Godly sorrow produces repentance. There's the difference. Leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. The regret of the world, the remorse of the world produces death. This is why people give up, right? This is why people say, you know what? You know what? As I'm in sin, you know what? I just want to give up. But when you have deep sorrow, that will draw you to God. Deep sorrow draws you to God. What do I mean by this? How many of you remember this? Before you came to know Christ, you were so deeply sorrowful because of your sin, right? And many of you came to God because you were tired of that sin. And where did you first go to, right? You didn't know. You either went to God or you went to the people of God, didn't you? Is it how it went? And you asked him, where do you go to church? What's happening in your life? Why do I see a change in you? I want that change myself. I want to be different. And so you either go to the people of God or you go to God himself. See, this is what deep sorrow does. It leads you to God or to the people of God to ask for counsel, to seek direction. But when it comes to regret, when it comes to remorse, remember this. It doesn't lead you to God. Let me give you illustrations of both. I gave you, I'm sorry, let me give you the illustration of this remorse. How many of you know people that are just alcoholics and they're always crying about their drinking problem? Right? We know people like this, don't we? You know people that are druggists, that, that, that are addicted to drugs, and they're always saying, I want to get off the drug. I want to get off the high. And they're sorry about that, and they'll cry to you. That's just remorse. They just feel sorry, but they never come to God. They don't surrender themselves to the Lord. They are not drawn to God. 
They're just feeling sorry for the situation that they're in, just like Judas. Judas was sorry for his situation, but he never drew, drew close to God. Who did Judas go to when he sinned? He went to the high priest. He went to the chief priest. He never went to God. There's a big difference between the two. See, sorrow, godly sorrow, will lead you to God. It produces repentance is what the word of God said. When you have deep sorrow, there will be deep repentance. Meaning, what is repentance? See, some people confuse confession and repentance, right? They say, well, you know what? I confess my sin, but repentance goes one step further. You confess it and you walk away from it. And that's what happens when you have godly sorrow. Look at what it says. I want to read to you from James chapter 4, verses 7 and 10. It says, 7 through 10, it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I remember when I came to the Lord. Before I came to the Lord, I'm going to share this with you. There were many times that I would just rejoice in my sin. I would share it with others. I would talk about it with others. I had, you know what? There was nothing wrong with it. But when I was tired of it, and I was just like, I don't want this anymore. I don't like the man that I became. There was deep sorrow for everything that I did. I remember I would sit there. It's just like all of you. And I would hear the messages that were given out. And there would be just a, 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 a sorrow in my heart. Every message, every service I was going to, I was filled with tears. Why? Because I had a deep sorrow for my sin. I didn't like that anymore. I, was, I had that, that godly sorrow that produced that repentance in me, in me that I never turned back to it. See, there's many people that are sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I do that. But they continue to do it. That's Judas. That's the sin that we're talking about, but the godly sorrow will move you from it. It will turn you from it. It will produce, rep it will produce repentance. What I love about all of this, and I'm going to close with this. When you look at what Peter did, It just reveals and pours and just gives us a vivid picture of God's grace. God's grace. God knows how we are as people. God knows that we're going to fail him. God knows that when we're not yielded to the spirit that we're going to what? We're going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so when we do this and you truly have a heart that is set to please the Lord, you're going to come to a place of asking the Lord to forgive you. And that's what Peter did. And what did God do? God didn't say, you know what? You denied me. I want nothing to do with you. How many of you had somebody to betray you? And you tell them, I want nothing to do with you. That's happened to many of us, right? I think we all have done that. Have we not all? But when we look at Jesus, when we look at God, does God say, I want nothing to do with you? What does he do? He holds his arms open wide, draw near to me. I will forgive you. See, this is the grace of God. 
And this is what we love about God. He was willing to take Peter back and say, I forgive you of all your sin. Don't worry about that. And what does he do? Remember when, when Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he's there at the Sea of Galilee and he's cooking fish and, and they smell his good food out there. And all of a sudden they look and they realize it's Jesus. And then they tell Peter, it's Jesus. And what does Peter do? He immediately jumps out of the boat. He swims to the Lord. And what does God do? What does Jesus do? Do you love me? See, the Lord knew his heart already. He knew that godly sorrow. He knew that when Peter was weeping bitterly, that it produced that repentance. And so immediately, Peter says, you know that I love you. He said it three times. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Judas never had godly sorrow. That's why he didn't repent. That's why he hung himself. And unfortunately, as we saw here, you know what? His sin, it never produced. It never produced anything good, but it took his life. I want you to know one thing. The Lord says this. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He is so good to us, just like with Peter. He loves you. He died for you. He gave his life for you. And he wants to just bless you. Knowing that God is willing to take me as a sinner, it led me to repentance. May it lead each and every one of us to a heart of repentance that when you look at your sin, that you no longer want to walk in it, but you're willing to turn from it and allow God to be glorified in and through your life. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the message that you've given us. We thank you for the difference between the two, that one Ask for your forgiveness. And the other one, he never came to you. We thank you for the illustration of Peter, Lord. The fact that you're willing to take us even after we have sinned. Lord, we pray for all of us here. If there's anyone here that hasn't experienced the love of God, Maybe you don't know God's love. Maybe you don't know his goodness. Maybe you continue to sin against God. And maybe God has spoken to you directly. Maybe God has given you something here and spoke to your heart. And Maybe there isn't that repentance and it's time to do it today. Maybe it's time to acknowledge it, to walk away from it by the power of God and the only way that we can do this is when we come and bring it to him for godly sorrow produces repentance if you are sorry for your behavior it's time to make things right with the Lord if this is you I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you amen anyone else anyone else amen anyone else
Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? For those of you that raised your hands, for those of you that heard the voice of the Lord, and you're sorry, if you have sorrow, a deep godly sorrow, not regret like Judas, but sorrow, just repeat these words after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins against you. I ask you to come and to live in me and to give me the power, the power over sins. Holy Spirit, you have the power that I need. I thank you for your love. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, taking my punishment. And I will live in a manner that seeks to please you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.